Hi, this is Diana Dini with Quality During Design. This podcast episode, I'm talking with Gabor Zabo. This interview is part of our series, A Chat with Cross-Functional Experts. Our focus is speaking with people that are typically part of a cross-functional team for new product development. We discuss their viewpoints and perspectives regarding new products, the values they bring to new product development, and how they're involved and work with product design engineering teammates. Gabor and I explore topics like managing ongoing team information and confirming that it is good to have problems. We talk about how aligning the head and the heart can lead to success in whatever we're trying to do. We also explore his ventures into the R programming language with his motivation to serve the engineering and quality communities. He mentioned at the end of our interview that our talk took a lot of unexpected twists and turns. But if you are working in product development, I think you'll relate to a lot of what we're talking about and that you'll come away with some ideas or some things to look into for your own development. So enjoy this episode of A Chat with Cross-Functional Experts. Hello and welcome to Quality During Design, the place to use quality thinking to create products others love for less. My name is Diana. I'm a senior level quality professional and engineer with over 20 years of experience in manufacturing and design. Listen in and then join the conversation at qualityduringdesign.com. We have a special guest today, Gabor Zabo. Gabor is an engineering and data professional with experience in numerous industries, including the medical device and automotive industries. In his current role as a senior principal engineer of operations excellence, he works with various cross-functional teams on validating new processes and products and launching new products, helping them diagnose and solve technical problems. He hosts the Critical Talks podcast. He also develops software and builds data products in R. Gabor is here with us today to share his viewpoint and expertise about statistics and data analysis engineering. So hello, Gabor. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Diana. I'm actually, I'm actually thrilled to have this uh, chat with you. Uh, like you mentioned about a minute ago, I have uh, a podcast of my own. So I'm not used to being in the hot seat. I'm not used to being interviewed. So it's uh, it's definitely a thrill for me. So appreciate the, uh, the invite. Absolutely. And that's how, how we actually met is through our podcast. Um, we were both syndicated on the reliability.fm, the Ascendo Reliability site. Uh, and uh, Fred introduced us as, as we thought. He thought we would hit it off and get along and be able to help each other. Um, and look at explore us. Explore some new ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of background about you, if you could, like how your background and how you grew into the role that you're in today and how you relate to cross-functional teams on a, on a product design level. Absolutely. I, I appreciate the question. I come from a mainly, mostly technical background. I started my career as a, as a quality engineer, having graduated from college and um, a major in um in uh, engineering management. I kind of fell into quality, but I fell in love with it later. So I stayed in quality engineering for a long time, for over 10 years, working in different industries, automotive. That's where I started. And then I moved to med device and had some 
detours, took some detours here and there. Um, so I did get to work on new product development projects and engineers. And the role I'm in right now is kind of related to, you know, to my background in quality. I'm in uh, operations or operational excellence, uh, which is kind of a, okay, what is that? Yeah. Can you <laughs> explain a little of, more, more about operational excellence? Absolutely. I think different companies define that role differently. Our organization um, it's comprised of different engineering functions, technical functions, operations, excellence is one of them. My group specializes in uh, validations, mainly process validations, but we also get involved in sometimes in the new product development process, working with MPD teams. I also get involved a lot with continuous improvement projects, problem diagno diagnosis and, and problem solving, which I really enjoy. That's an area that I really enjoy. So it's a little bit of everything. And of course, we're, we are heavily involved in, in you know, the manufacturing of the product. So that's what I love about my current role. I get to, I get to work on a lot of different things. So I, I don't stay in, say, the R&D lane. I don't stay in the, the quality engineering lane. I get to define my lanes, which I, I really enjoy. So you, you started coming out of school in engineering management and fell into quality. And that's a story, not the management part. Uh, so that gives you an interesting uh, background and viewpoint. But a lot of people just fall into the quality role. And then you've been further developing that and really honing your skills in that area. And, and you're in this operational excellence phase where you are really, um, I guess, fine-tuning. Would that be a good way to describe it? You Are you um, fine-tuning the processes um, as they're being developed? And are you, uh, and with new product development, you're helping to make decisions that, that affect the processing of the product? Do I have that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. What we do, what I do a lot of times is we get involved in early on, you know, in the new product development or the, the process development of the manufacturing process and help the team work with the team, partner with the team in characterizing, say, characterizing a manufacturing process, especially if it's novel, it's a new technology. There's a lot of question marks. We've never done this before. Uh, one of the current projects that I'm working on, that's exactly what we're doing right now. We're um, implementing a brand new manufacturing technology, not just to us, but to, you know, to the industry. And um, my experience or my group's experience in validations, in problem solving really helps the team, you know, see that for one, see, you know, the bigger picture and also, you know, deal with some of the technical challenges, but I'm not alone in this. So I, I don't try to come in and, Hey, I'll tell you what to do. It's, it's really a partnership that, uh, that we, that, you know, that we have with these teams. So, and what makes it really exciting of a role is that, like I mentioned, you get to work on different projects, on different products. So it, there's never a dull moment or day in my in my life at work. I, so. I, I agree. It's a very uh, fulfilling kind of role. So you're developing new manufacturing equipment for design. So, so a new product development engineer designed something 
that you didn't, the, the technology to make it didn't exist yet. And your, your team is kind of picking it up and developing it, making it happen, right? Oh, absolutely. You're, you hit the nail in the head, right? So that's, so, that's exciting right. and very rewarding, I would imagine. Yeah, it is rewarding. Uh, and we're essentially paving the way for the future of, you know, what manufacturing this specific product looks like for the company I work for. So it's, it's not just an isolated incident or project. This is going to shape the way we manufacture stuff or this specific product line. Um, so it's, 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 it's very, it gets hands-on the work, but it's also very strategic. So, cause it's, it's really a feedback loop. We learn, we, you know, take that information, those learnings and feed it back into the, in, into our systems, not necessarily manufacturing systems, but into our management systems, quality systems on how to actually do that in the future in a more effective and efficient way. So it's, it's definitely been a thrill. <laughs> so this development isn't a, a one-off to support one sort of design development. Your team is looking to continue to be innovative to support the innovative design decisions that your design teams are coming up with. And so you're putting systems in place to be able to support that. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. right. That's right. Now your, um, your objectives for, for new product development, well, within your company is you're, you're supporting them to help make it happen. How early do you get involved in talking with them? And what kind of information is it that you're looking to get from them? And then do you give in return to the design development? You mentioned a, a feedback cycle for systems. Is there also a feedback cycle about the design of the product and the process? Yeah, that's, that's actually a great question. And uh, my experience tells me that you know, one should get involved as early as possible. And I mean, it's kind of a vague thing to say, but um, coming in late <laughs> into, uh, you know, into the game, it's like you don't know what's been done, what's been thought of and what hasn't been thought of and, and uh, all these assumptions that you have. Um, it's kind of like firefighting, like after the fact. So, if you know you're going to be working on uh, or working with this team, you want to understand, uh, you want to get um, hands-on with the product they're developing, with the project itself as early as possible. Um, in a, in a pr role previous to, to this one, I actually um, I worked in test method development and validation for new products. So it's very, it's very relevant because we're developing uh, test methods for for brand new products that the company was developing. So I was working with R and D engineers, and uh, it would develop um, test methods for some of the subcomponents of that, you know, the system, the medical device. But we would also work on test methods for, say, final tests or like functional tests, right? And uh, being involved early on, <laughs> and also understanding what the test method is for like what are you trying to measure or test or inspect 
um, again, it's, it's a, it's a feedback loop, right? If you don't know what you're measuring, like you need to have all that information. So you need to be really, really close with the R and D team. And I've, you know, I, I, I got, you know, burnt uh, a couple of times early in my role where we were not as involved as we should have been, or we were just put to the side only to find out later that, you know, the team had a different thing in mind. So, yeah, that didn't really, we didn't deliver on what was expected because the expectations were not clearly defined. So it's really, it's, it's a two way thing. Yeah. The, uh, the design requirements against which you're testing, they do have to be really clear. Yes. Sometimes, um, do you find that there's a lot of rework, um, a lot of questions that you ask? If you're involved in the requirements up front and when they're being generated, do you, do you find yourself giving a lot of input about how that requirement could be tested that might result in maybe a different requirement? Exactly. And, uh, you know, the way we ended ended up uh, essentially fixing that problem that we had we had earlier was we starting being proactive and actually asking questions. Actually, I would have you know the R and D team complete a um, kind of a questionnaire type of thing that we had um, put together that included all of the items that we thought were necessary crucial for us to be able to to start working on these these assignments right so we instead of waiting for the team the r&d team the product development team to give us the information you know in different pieces here and there we were upfront about like our expectations and not expectations about the information that we needed the knowledge uh, that we needed to to get started and and make um meaningful progress and that that was really helpful for us and for the team too um you know that list of i guess uh questions or or stuff that we would um get up front from these teams included stuff like i mean basic project management stuff like when do you need this by how urgent is this what is it for and uh, but it would also go into detail on what is the intended use of this measurement? How do you measure it? And if we if we found that, hey, that's a little murky right there. It's a little fuzzy. We would get a lot more involved um, in the actual design of the test method, not just actually making a test method, but also the you know the intent of the test method. Like, are you sure you want to measure that? If you're interested in, you know, in, say, controlling that, you know, that CTQ, that may not be the, you know, the subcomponent level level characteristic that you want to measure. I recommend that we do this instead. So, and that made the entire process much, much better for all of us. So you were, uh, you were proactive with your design engineering group. Uh, with with a questionnaire kind of form to kind of get the conversation started. Yeah. Uh, but then it sounds like you had um, a lot of input that you could offer as far as not just how it's tested, um, but also if there's something that's, you mentioned CTQ, critical to quality, 
um, you you had some different suggestions of different characteristics that maybe they should be looking at instead of the ones that they picked. Yeah, based on my expertise or my team's expertise. And 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 you know, we're starting to touch on a different kind of thing and that's really like knowledge sharing, right? So what if you have multiple product development teams developing similar products or similar test methods or whatever it, you know the case may be and but there's no sharing of information between the teams one team works you know spends time working on say a feature uh, while the same team uh, the, the other team is doing the same thing <laughs> kind of like uh, you know du- you know it's a duplicate effort um, so y- you you also want to um, manage that within your organization. Yeah, that's even um, even across, uh, you know, I, I call them business silos. You have your different groups yeah. that sometimes they don't talk very well together. But within your own silo, you can kind of control that a little bit. But that is a challenge when you're starting to work across these functional silos. And then there's different projects happenings. <laughs> Can you give an example of uh, something specific that with without getting into yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, too many details? And you know, this may not be this this is not a like a product development uh, type of example. It's more of a process manufacturing process development and deployment type of example where because typically from what I've seen at least, the product you know, itself is developed at say one location, maybe at the headquarters or the R and D, you know, headquarters of the company, right? They would try to keep that like isolated, right? And then when the product is developed and uh, you know launched, commercialized, they may end up manufacturing it at multiple sites, right? Um, so that's that's a different thing. But the example I was gonna. Uh, bring up has to do with deployment of or changes to to the manufacturing process at multiple sites multiple you know geographical sites with very different you know cultural like otherwise right so very different time zones right and this is kind of like this is kind of a joint effort you know to develop something new characterize something, validate it. And, you know, it did pose its challenges because the work, uh, the the team, you know, wanted to work together. They had to work together on developing the process itself. And, uh, and all of the, the teams at these different sites, they wanted to be involved. You know, they wanted to be included. So it wasn't like, Hey, I'll just do this at this site and I'll tell you how to deploy it. It's it's a joint, you know. It, it meant it was meant to be a joint effort, but because of all these differences, it can get all complex in terms of who's doing what, <laughs> you know, who's talking to who, and also getting to you know coming to like consensus about certain things, about making certain decisions. So so yeah, it does get complicated as as we increase complexity, especially in a matrix type of organization. I've worked for matrix organizations before. And uh, while it definitely has advantages as the complexity increases of, of the complexity of the project or the program increases, 
there are so many stakeholders you you want you need to find a way to to manage that or to anticipate you know these things coming at you yeah so you you're describing a situation where uh you know one group in isolation develops a product and then it's pushed down into the manufacturing groups and, and several different of them. Now, were these manufacturing groups, were they manufacturing the same product or were they manufacturing different components that would eventually get assembled into the same product? So this example that I, I mentioned, it's actually the product. That was one product uh, and multiple manufacturing sites making the one product. But the development work was not around the product itself. It was around developing a new manufacturing process. And it was not a centralized effort. The, the, the development of the process took place at many of these manufacturing locations, not at just one location. So, you know, the, 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 the knowledge sharing part and, and the, the learning, it took a great amount of effort to to optimize how the teams would best work together uh, to achieve that goal. So what are what are some things that you implemented or your team implemented to help manage that and and optimize that kind of communication? Was it any kind of particular quality tool or management style or um, you just kind of figured it out as you went? Well, it took a, a little bit of figuring it out and, you know, trying the different things. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this or um, our listeners who, who are involved in new product development projects. You know, sometimes you have what's called like a core team meeting once a week or something like that, where all the team members are present. It's like high level updates, right? Uh, and I think that's, that's necessary. It's needed. So everyone's up to speed on what's going on, what the challenge, you know, what the challenges are. And, 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 uh, you know, that's what makes a team cross-functional, but for the more technical, uh, discussions, certain work groups or work sessions, even like series of work sessions would need to be, um, uh, would need to be organized. Right. But how do you do that? When, when you have all these interdependencies, right, development, and then, have, you know, say, I don't know, testing, characterization, validation, and launch, right? Organizing these group sessions or these groups is also an effort. And a lot of that essentially lands on these teams. Of course, there's project management support. I've seen multiple types of project managers, right? <laughs> there are the project managers that are hands-on. They're not just, hey, is it done yet? When was it done? Why is it late? <laughs> right? And sometimes that's needed. But I think the type of project managers that are actually hands-on, so they have a more intricate knowledge of not necessarily just the product, but of the subject matter, I think that can be a lot more helpful for the project itself uh, when it comes to developing a new product. Like, there's a lot of uncertainties. It's it's kind of like a, it's, it's a discovery mission, right? We're going to go develop something brand new. We'll find things, right? So we have all these timelines that we, you know, we, com you know, we committed to, 
like you know to management and 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 even our customers right but things are going to happen like there's only one thing that's certain and that that's uncertainty right so how do you manage that one time i was on on this project it's a new develop uh, actually it's a it's kind of like a it wasn't a brand new product it was kind of like a an enhancement to a product it's a major it was a major re redesign they were actually developing a brand new product but um as far as like marketing goes and branding they want to keep the the brand name consistent uh but like in the background everything was being redesigned everything which involved brand new manufacturing technologies like some of them are stuff that the company had never done before right so that was a lot of discovery so all these you know all these timelines that the team, the team had set up we kept finding out like hey that's not going to work i mean <laughs> we have so so many things to work through so many problems so many issues but when you when you have all these problems i think what you need to realize it's it's good it's good to have those problems you know just like uh, i don't know if you're familiar with um jocko you know what jocko is no so jocko he was a navy seal he's a speaker and uh, he's he's essentially a um self de development personality <laughs> and he has this video on youtube it's super mo motivational and he t when he talks uh or he talks about you know all these things that come at you all these problems right and all you can all you should say is good it doesn't matter what it is it's good because i will learn from it i will be better i will get better from it and i think the same thing applies to a new product development project <laughs> right stuff's going to break stuff's going to go wrong a lot of times but all you can say all you should say is good it's much better than you know launching a product and then finding out that you know we made that big mistake now it's either costing us or it's even worse things could happen and have happened that we've seen right <laughs> all these product recalls and right so stuff goes wrong. when stuff goes wrong um on a new new product development project i think that's a good thing <laughs> mm -hmm. one of my early mentors uh one of his catchphrases was every failure is a gift and i would be on product development teams and we'd be going or going testing and there would be unexpected failures and um they did feel like a bummer and man that you know when you're that invested for a long time and putting your energy and efforts into design um a failure can feel like a letdown yeah uh, but that's when i would get out my every failure is a gift you know and they'd they groan oh you know <laughs> yeah um but it is very true that um uh and i'm sure you being uh in the test lab and, and working with designing tests for products, you're actually looking to break it exactly. and to make things fail so that you can learn something about it. Exactly. Well, like when you go into DV, right? Design verification testing, which is kind of like a preamble to anything, you know, downstream, you know, uh, launch. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a given, but when you find something, when you like, fail ADV it's like oh man 
we spend so much time on this and, and effort and everything. Well, it's much better than finding out about these problems downstream. Maybe failing a DV is a good thing. Or not going right. into DV before you really understand the limitations and all these assumptions, right? So you don't feel uh, you don't fail that DV. I think that's just this constant uncertainty that can be frustrating to some people. You know, some people are used to just hey, give me just the same thing over and over again, I'll, and I'll do it, and I'll be consistent with it. But I think when you're developing a new product, when you're a new de development or new product development engineer, you have to expect to see things, different things, new things every day, stuff that goes wrong, stuff that goes right. You, you just have to expect it. You have to anticipate it all the time. So you, you mentioned we talked about a lot of uh, moving parts and just really project management needing to take a role and ensuring they all communicate sufficiently. And we're also talking a little bit about early failures. You, you touched on this, like mm -hmm. heading into your final test, you should have already vetted your product pretty well yeah. so that you understand or can expect what's going to happen in those, those last verification tests that you're performing. Yeah. How early can product development engineers work with test development when they're designing? Is it when they're specking out components as early as that? Is it during certain prototype stages? Uh, what are the ways and the timeframes that you like to work best with the product design engineers? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, as early as you can, but if you get in too early, I'm, I've seen projects where, you know, especially like where like quality comes in super early and like, hey, oh, that's, we don't have a procedure for that. Or, you know, whoa, you need to document this in this form. I'm like, no, <laughs> this is early, early concept development. We're trying to, it's kind of like you start here, right? And then you're trying to like, it's like a funnel. You're trying to find that one thing that will stick. But once you've found it, that's when structure should come into play. I think these early concept stages, of course, you need to have a structured approach to how you're going to go about finding that one, you know, concept that you you end up sticking with. But adding too much structure to like for me say from a quality system systems perspective, right? And I'm, I'm pretty sure you've seen this. If you add too much structure, you essentially stiff all the project because you, you, you know, you put all these bounds <laughs> around something that's, that, sh that you shouldn't, right? So it's really a combination of creativity and discipline or structure. Actually, I've, I've met R and D engineers <laughs> that would say that they would never take a role outside of R and D because they needed that creative space. They don't want to be put within bounds, right? So mm. I guess once you're an R and D engineer, you're an R and D engineer for life. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way we can transfer them into quality, huh? Oh, nor do we want to. Um, <laughs> That's true. It, it makes yeah. it every it takes a whole bunch of different people to make the world go round, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So I can definitely see, and I have heard stories too, where quality and reliability and even test design and, and data analysis people, the creative design R&D engineers, they're hesitant to call them because we start, like you said, you mentioned this, put, putting boundaries on everything and, and stepping in. Do you think there is a role for data people and test design people to just participate and be like a like a fly on the wall and not necessarily jump in and start to fix concept development problems, but to monitor just just to see where things are going and to know when it's the right time to step in? Because I get the sense that the design engineers, they're they're working, they're doing their thing. And then all of a sudden it's done and the opportunity for other people to jump in and to help and to create value for their decisions is already done. Yeah. So I guess that's my question. What do you, what do you think about quality and, and data analysis people just kind of taking a back seat in their early concept development and just kind of watching and not jumping in? I think that's what the role of those folks should be from the get go. Because if, if you really think about it, like quality, as a quality engineer, you really don't have influence. I mean, direct influence on product quality, right? Because mm-hmm. quality is really designed for quality or quality during design is really done by R&D. Quality during yes. manufacturing is done by who? Manufacturing, <laughs> right? So I think as, as a quality engineer or being in a quality role, are you, all you can do, all you should do is, you know, I don't want to say take a backseat because you don't want to take a backseat. You, you still want to be involved, but really be a partner. And if you see something like, hey, this doesn't really check out or something, don't be police. Don't play police. Play an advocate. Be a partner, right? So if maybe maybe there's something that they're not seeing that you are seeing, Right. So don't be a showstopper, like be open and uh, be be kind of a coach to the team so that they can do their best. Yeah, that's good advice to be to be a coach and to offer your services, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's what I try to do in, in, in my role, offer my services to these teams. From your viewpoint as a engineer of operational excellence, is there a way that you would like to best work with engineers in new product development? Is it that feedback form, uh, like the things that we've been talking about? You mentioned the uh, the feedback form, being the fly on the wall and, and monitoring things, just getting notified of what they're working on. What is the type of information or the way to communicate uh, that works out best for you to help new product development engineers make decisions? That's actually... A great question. It's kind of a segue into this digital age that we're in, right? There are many, many different mediums or media through which you can communicate, you can share knowledge, you can stay in touch with these people, these teams. It depends on your involvement, but I I think a mixture of uh, in-person, one-on-one interaction, like I, I, for example, find these uh, team collaboration channels. Like I, for example, use Teams at work. Emails are important too, but I've kind of replaced emails with 
a quick team collaboration chats for those hands-on discussions or like, Hey, Oh, what's going on? What's the problem? And, and uh, I'm not talking about actually like going to the problem, like going to, to, you know, for example, actually going to the test lab and, and examining something or breaking and trying to break it. Those things need to be still need to be done in person. <laughs> That's the best way, but kind of like these quick engineer to engineer conversations. So those steam collaboration applications can be very helpful and useful because you can, can easily add more people to the conversation or just share a file, share your screen. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was working from solely from, from home for about a year or so. And my schedule is kind of hybrid right now. And I, to be honest with you, I love it. I get to go into the office or to the lab or to the manufacturing floor whenever I need to or want to be. Uh, and the rest can be done, uh, could be done through these collaboration applications combined with in-person meetings. So I don't know if that answers your question. What I'm hearing you say is communication. Yeah. And it's it's not always that the test engineer should be reaching out to the R&D group or design engineers for, hey, what you're doing. Um, it's nice to be reciprocated for that. Yeah, and and that can be easily done through technology and in person and any kind of communication method. Yeah, is a good thing. I know. I, I mean, uh, I agree, and um, I know engineers. You know, they tend to be. I mean, they are technical people, right? I'm pretty sure you've seen conversations that start, you know, at a high level, and then engineers go into like detail on this one thing. And they're stuck with it. They're stuck discussing that one thing, essentially tearing into tearing it into pieces in a meeting that was supposed to be high level, <laughs> right? So <laughs> I think, and 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 I've seen that happen a lot. And uh, you know, when that happens, I you know I try to I try to steer it back, steer the conversation back to what we were supposed to discuss, right? Sometimes it, it so it really depends on. Like the audience depends on uh, who you're talking with. And I, I try to remind myself and the team of, you know, these three things. So why, what, and how, like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we, why are we developing this product or why are we having this meeting? And then what, what are we doing to get there? What are we discussing in this meeting? And also how, like, how are we going to get there? So, I think keeping these three things in mind, whether it's the end goal <laughs> or the discussion you're having with your peers, keeping those things in mind and also keeping, um, essentially letting the team know like, Hey, this, let's stay on subject. Yeah. So, um, not just the communication, uh, the, the back and forth communication and keeping in touch, but then when you do meet, talking about the the why, the what, and the how that you're meeting, just keeping that in mind yeah. so that you can maximize the small amount of time that you do have together. Yeah. And, you know, Elon Musk, you know, he has this thing. I mean, rumor has it. That, he has like, lots of things, which yeah. thing? <laughs> <laughs> A Tesla. He has Twitter now, too. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's crazy. Uh, like, he would actually promote 
employees being able to just leave a meeting when they when they felt they were not adding any value whether it's in person or virtual of course it's a lot easier to just leave a virtual meeting a teams call right just and i've you know I've, we've all had to do that for uh, various different reasons but uh, what 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 do you think about that i think that there's a couple things leading into that one is um like you mentioned the why the what and the how just having a meetings for meetings sake isn't necessarily useful yeah um so having an agenda and having somebody facilitating the meeting and corralling the conversations to be able to get to that endpoint is needed there are sometimes there are meetings that just kind of ramble and and go off the rails and and you do end up sitting there thinking, why, why am I here? Yeah. So another point is if, if you are attending the meeting, understanding your purpose for being there. So I think there's a lot of individual responsibilities when you're attending a meeting. Like you mentioned, know, knowing the agenda, what it is we're trying to accomplish, and knowing your role for being there. And I think it's okay to challenge not going if if you're not understanding any of those things. Yeah. But um Walking out of the meeting seems harsh and cruel. <laughs> yeah, that's but, cool. yeah, it could be disrespectful, could be viewed as, oh, this person is just being a, you know, <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah. There's also something to be said about like the water cooler talks, the ad hoc or, you know, if, if we were in buildings, you know, passing each other in the hallway and mentioning something. Yeah. Um, sometimes things come up because yeah, I might be working on something and it may not seem like that big of a deal yeah. for, for me, but from someone from a different department, then they might consider that a big deal and have something to say and some input for it. And I wouldn't have even realized. Leaving some room for those kind of communications is also a good thing, I think. It's intuitively knowing the balance of how to work in a team, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and every team is different. Every project is different. I think the tighter knit the the team is, the product development team is. I mean, ideally, in a product development team, every team member is solely dedicated to that one product or project. I mean, in an ideal situation, right? And they're co-located. I mean, obviously, you know, with working from home virtually, that's not always possible, but as closer they are to one another, as tighter knit the team is, I'm not sure if that's possible in, in certain companies because a lot of engineer, a lot of product development engineers are assigned to multiple projects or they have right. different or other responsibilities, right? So they can't solely focus on that one thing. And it, then with remote work and people not co-located, yeah. it just makes it important to be purposeful about your communications. Yeah. I'm always hesitant to, every once in a while, actually I have a lot of these meetings where, these are virtual meetings with, involving a lot of stakeholders from different sides and everything. I'm always hesitant to call these meetings because I'm very, I try to be very conscious of other people people's time. I tend to only call a meeting if and when it's really necessary. I try to not call a one hour meeting when it, it should only be, shouldn't take more than 30 minutes. 
because you know it's a one hour meeting we try to fill in the the one hour of course if it in the case of two people talking it's like okay are we done yeah sure we're done but when it's 10 plus people being on the call that's man hours being wasted mm. with new product development getting other functional groups involved to help them make design decisions yeah i think it's it's okay you know, a lot of the one-on-one, hey, we're doing this in our project now. If the data analyst or the quality engineers say, that's good to know. Thanks for the update. You're not ready for me now. I think that's better than just not saying anything at all. Yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts about just reaching out? And if, if you're not ready, that's fine, but I'm glad you reached out. Let's touch base in another few weeks. Yeah. You know, giving people just updates is very helpful. Letting them know, like, hey, I received your email or your request, your question about this. I won't have an answer for two more days. But just, you know, letting them know that, hey, I'm working on it or I'm considering it, like these quick updates are definitely helpful. In the case of a new product development project that changes all the time, directions change, right? So that that's why having a tight knit team that's really close together, like on a on a daily basis, is very important if you're going to be successful. <laughs> yeah. Now you're saying that the um, having a tight knit team in daily contact. Yeah. Are you thinking of the cross functional team together, uh, or you're thinking of the uh, the development team that's making the decisions together? Yeah, that's a great question because um, you know there are all these interdependencies when developing a new product, right? So say there's a group of R&D engineers working on different features or different parts of the product. I mean, those people, they need to be like very closely working together as far as like other functions, say, I don't know, marketing or I don't know, manufacturing, like early stages. No, but as soon as, as soon as say process development starts and process development shouldn't start after DV has passed. <laughs> it start, it should start right. early on, right? <laughs> so it's not that, you know, water, what do you call it? That throw it over the wall thing. Like understanding and, and managing that is a thing of its own. Like how involved, like how close uh, do all these different teams need to be at different times of the project. But most of the time, you know, this kind of stuff you know, falls into place as the the, pro, uh, the teams start to better understand one another. You know, this whole forming, storming, norming, and performing, right? That's really the case. I've, you know, that's been my experience working with or on, on these teams. It's really at first, like, everyone's like, who's who? And, oh, what is he doing? And and then you start to, to have conflicts, and then after you've had your conflicts and misunderstanding, uh, not misunderstanding, like disagreements, right? You actually start to understand each other. Oh, this, oh, this is where he's coming from. This is what she meant by that, right? So you understand your team members better. And that's when you can, you will start actually performing as a team, right? So you have, yeah, you know, you have your place on the team or within the team structure you know what you know you're capable of and what what your other team members how they operate yeah so 
So I'm hearing you say it's uh, it's important to important to work as a team, but to recognize there is that storming forming. Yeah. Oh no. What is it again, Gabor? I think it's I think it's forming, storming, norming, and performing. I guess. Yes. <laughs> that that is a normal cycle of any yeah. team development, in that different people have different viewpoints, which adds to the value of the end product. Yeah. And uh, just to give give yourself and everybody else some grace to make it through those stages for knowing that a good functional team will come out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So Gabor, is there a scenario where you were working on a project that you would highlight as either the best or, or terrible mm-hmm. and, and what you learned from it? Can you share, share with us a story that you have? Yeah. So on this one initiative, that ended up being very successful. Um, it was a cross-site, cross-product initiative. It wasn't a new product development initiative per se, but as a, a technical engineering initiative across all of our sites uh, to essentially for quality improvement, right? And a lot of these things, you know, they start kind of like, oh, okay, let's do this. And then they kind of like fizzle out. I've seen that happen many, many times, but that wasn't the case. Yeah, me with, too. Yeah, with, with this one because because there was a vision behind it. You know, our leader he pres- presented this vision behind it, where the entire company, all these organizations, could and would stand behind it. Of course, it was the pro- the initiative itself was technical in nature, right? There was a lot of breaking barriers and uh, exploration involved, but the vision itself, like very nature, it affected our emotions. It spoke to your heart. It spoke to our heart. And there's this book that comes to mind for me. Um, it's called The Switch. Uh, have you have you heard of it? No, I've not. It's called, uh, yeah, so it's, it's called The Switch by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Um, their brothers. Uh, it came out about probably 10 years ago or so, or so. And it's about how to change things when change is hard. And, you know, organizational changes and even, you know, new product development projects, change direction and stuff like that. And they talk about the elephant and the rider. You have the rider. That's your rational side of side of you. You're very mm-hmm. rational. Eng- engineers are very, very rational beings. But in general... Yes, yes we are. Yeah. <laughs> but in general, everyone has that rational side uh, to, uh, uh, to themselves. That other side, that emotional side, the elephant, that's really the, the, power, the powerful side that essentially that has that spark. So you have that rational side, like, Hey, let's do this. Okay. Let, what's the best way to do it? Let's overanalyze everything. But <laughs> right. I mean, that's what we do. We overanalyze everything, but it's really the elephant. So your, your, your emotions, your heart that will tell you, Hey, let's actually, let's do it. Like let's, let's, let's get started. Now they talk about the writer essentially guiding the elephant. So, you know, on top of the elephant, there's the rider. And the elephant, he doesn't know where where he's going, 
But once he gets going, <laughs> the going gets tough. Oh, yeah, so it's called Shaping the Path. The idea is that you need, you need to have both. You need to have the emotional or the, you know, the emotional side of why we're doing this. What's the end goal? What's the vision? And also the, the analytical side. And that's when, you know, like essentially hashing out all the details of like how we're going to do it. One doesn't really work without the other. The elephant, you know, the heart without, you know, the brain. <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend that book. In this book, you said it was The Switch? The Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. That sounds interesting. I'll have to pick it up. Gabor, you have your own podcast. Yeah, I'm on all the uh, major platforms. Um, you can go on LinkedIn and find me. Uh, the podcast itself, so Critical Talks with Gabor Sabo. Um, it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, all all the platforms, um, and I, I really, you know, focus on, you know, what the future looks like with the for for industry with all these you know techni technological advancements. So there's a little bit of there's a lot of technology, but there's also there's also cultural things. There's also you know the human side of things that we also talk about. So it's a little bit of everything focusing on the future of the future of quality essentially so there's a lot of overlap between your podcast and my podcast i just have um that one tech t twist to it yes and you you've had a lot of interesting interviews i've listened to most all of them oh okay. and they all provide a different like you said uh, a different technical viewpoint but focused on the future of uh, what's coming around the corner and everything's changing so fast. It's a good podcast. Uh, it's Thanks. worthwhile checking out. I hope you check it out. I'm really excited about what the future holds for quality and for, for the manufacturing industry in general. Uh, and, you know, in recent years there, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this whole digital transformation. Uh, where are we going with that? Um, so I've been getting into, into that kind of stuff, um, I recently started programming myself. So I develop, I now develop software. Actually, I'm developing uh, a package in R focused on um, problem diagnos diagnosis and problem solving. So most, mostly um, data visualization, data analysis. My goal is to, to help the community, to provide the quality community and the um, you know, the manufacturing and quality and like the engineering community with, with tools that, that are helpful. So you're developing uh, packages in R. Yeah. Focused on helping manufacturing and engineering communities. And that's, uh, now where would they find those packages and how, how would they know which ones you're working on? It's a great question. It's uh, the one package, my first it's still it's currently under development, but essentially what will happen is I will post it to to what's called CRAN. It's a public, essentially domain of about twenty thousand different packages within R that anyone can download. It's open source. It's completely free. And to be honest with you, the the community, the R community, is is wonderful. There are so many bright minds 
people are very, very helpful and friendly. And it's kind of like you're growing with it. And uh, if you're looking for something, there's probably already a tool that, you know, that's already out there. Uh, I'm I'm hoping to fill a gap though, you know, with what I'm developing. But uh, there's a lot of stuff, and it's it's completely free. You know, if you're used to say uh, working in, I don't know, Minitab for data analysis or other tools, and that that's okay. I highly encourage you though to to check out R because for one, it's free. The learning curve there is a learning curve to it because it's a programming language, but it's not as steep as uh, some might think uh, the syntax is very similar to that of uh, Excel, especially like at the the beginning when you're starting out. You'll see a lot of you'll find a lot of similarities between the two. Uh, but of course, this is like a full fledged programming language, and uh, I don't know. I just feel like I'm learning a lot, I'm, and I'm I'm always learning something for my professional and personal development, learning a programming language has been very, very useful. A lot of academics have used it. So I'm sure there are a lot of programs for that. Um, I can imagine what you're developing for the engineering community would be um, a very practical set of tools that's directly applicable to their everyday needs and uses for more complex statistical analysis than what Excel can handle. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so it's the the package I'm developing is is focused more on the data visualization side uh, side of things. So essentially, different kind of kinds of plots and charts, uh, some of which are already out there. So let's say Minitab, um, but a lot of those plots that are kind of hard to construct, say in Excel or or you know Minitab doesn't have those. It's a uh, will be a essentially a ready-made packaged set of these functions. So users can go in, use their data sets, and uh, use these helpful functions to make their lives easier. Well, that sounds like something that I could use because you're absolutely right. Trying to generate some of those statistical graphs in Excel doesn't cut it. No, it doesn't. I am looking forward to getting into R myself. You had convinced me uh, previous to this podcast here. Um, I'm glad I'm, to hear I'm that. I'm going to go on record and say <laughs> I'm going to download it this weekend Great. and start getting into it. Hopefully, we can keep in touch with what you're developing and how it can be useful for engineers. Sure. I'm always looking for um, testers or people, folks who are willing to provide feedback. So, uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. I'd I, I, uh, love to... Uh, hear more about your your journey that you're about to start (laughs) (laughs) okay it will do well gabor thank you so much for joining us today in our in our conversation people can find you on linkedin you're active there and and posting absolutely absolutely please reach out if you have any questions if you want to chat i'm friendly i promise (laughs) (laughs) thanks gabor thanks diana 